Star Wars tournament kicked off this week and it wasn't without controversy. Hello and welcome to Repeat the Question. I'm David Sackrider and this is your one-stop shop for everything related to the world of the movie Trivia Schmodown. We're going to kick things off first with that infamous Star Wars match between Andres Ace Cabrera and Josh the Jester Quavedo. It's swag taking on the rock stars and the match started off really great. Both players are perfect to start round one, including the bonus. So they are tied at 11 apiece. And if there were any qualms about the type of Star Wars player we were witnessing, I think they were kind of quenched after that first round. I thought both looked like they could be potential strong competitors at the end of round one. The issues start to show themselves in round two, when the greatest heel in the history of the Schmodown shows its face in the digital wheel. Josh Quavedo spins first, and he decides to spin away from Rogue One. And then the digital wheel lands in the middle of both Solo and Heroes and Villains. And ultimately, they have to make the split-second decision to allow Quavedo to choose between either topic. He elects to go with Heroes and Villains, which the match will show and also what I believe to be the wrong choice. I really think that if his manager did anything wrong, Roxy Stryer in this case should have told him not to go with heroes and villains that the, those broader categories always tend to be more difficult and to go with solo. That being said, he's only able to pick up three points in heroes and villains and he's, he relinquishes two steals to ACE. And then on top of that ACE spins The digital wheel again lands in the middle of two categories, so he elects to go with Force Awakens over Return of the Jedi. He picks up five points, but he loses a steal to Josh Quavedo, and that puts the score at 20 to 15 in favor of Ace at the end of round two. You know, a number of problems here in round two, especially for Josh Quavedo, outside of the, the election to choose heroes and villains, he also forgets that he has the option of multiple choice and utilizes all of his JTE rules a little bit too early. And so that puts him in a bind for round three. He's only able to hit his two. There's a lot of problems with his three, but we're going to say for the official record, he misses his three and his five resulting in the final score of 20 to 17 in favor of ACE. So ACE moves on and he will face Ken Knapsack in the first round of the tournament as this was only a play in match. And in addition, him getting the TKO allows his team to, to move up into that second place spot on the leaderboard, they sit just three points behind the Finstock Exchange now with their four and three record and four knockouts, putting them at 13 points. That being said, I mentioned it up top, and this was the first live streamed on Twitch match, and it certainly was not without its controversy. And the one that everybody's going to talk about, including us here on the show, is the challenge. On Quavedo's three-pointer, he answers key something Monday. It's hard to make out if it was just stutter on the word Monday or if he said key a me Monday. Either way, he got the answer wrong. I think that what's indisputable for everybody is that he definitely did not answer the question correctly. So then um, the question is challenged. And initially, the challenge is ruled 
not in the favor of Ace. It's ruled in the favor of Quevedo. He gets the points and it forces Ace to answer a question before he before Quevedo misses his five. They take a look at it after the fact. They determine that they were wrong with the way they ruled the challenge and they're actually going to give Ace the TKO officially and giving his faction the extra point, but also um, making the final score 20 to 17 and not giving Quevedo the points for that three-pointer. The issue becomes, and really the debate surrounding this topic centers on whether or not the TKO decision is okay because it came after the fact. I think that there was potential for another form of controversy around this match because their decision on the challenge was definitely wrong. Uh, Key Mundy is not the name of the character. It's Kia D. Mundy. And so for them to choose to rule against the challenge because they were pressed um, for time in the live setting was clearly wrong. And they definitely did the right thing, I think, by awarding Ace the TKO after the fact. I think that this is more akin to like a stat correction in any other sport than it is um, to something else. That being said, this also could potentially set a dangerous precedent. Now you've got a situation where a challenge was overturned after the match was over. What happens if this is a, uh, a match deciding question? It's not just a TKO decision. This is like somebody's five pointer that was challenged and the challenge was ultimately incorrect. Now, do they have to replay the match? Do they have to replay the question? Because they decided after the fact that, uh, upon convening, they ruled the challenge incorrectly. I think that, you know, we can talk all day about the Alba Elba situation earlier this season, but at the very least, when they made the decision, they stuck to the decision. I, you know, while they were wrong in their decision they made in the match, I almost would have rather them have stuck with the decision so that things were the same always. I don't think that this is going to be that big of a deal going forward, but it's always going to be that that match where somebody can point to and say, hey, in this match, you decided it after the fact. Why can't you do that in this match? And it's always going to be something that's going to be brought up and talked about. And this kind of leads into the next topic of the problem that happens with live matches. I, I think both in-person matches and the StreamYard matches, we've seen where challenges kind of get dismissed because they are in a live setting or the the time isn't really spent debating the challenge because it's in a live setting and, and that's definitely an issue and something that needs to be rectified going forward. I don't know what the solution is here on Twitch, whether that's just putting up a graphic that says we're debating the challenge while they talk about it or how they're going to choose to fix this, but it's definitely something that can't just be a we're going to make it up and and rule on it. And if we're wrong, we decide later because it could be something that is potentially a really big, important part of the match, not just a TKO versus a not a TKO, not just a matter of one point in the standings. And with the standings this close, one point is a big deal, but it's not necessarily as big a deal as somebody winning or losing in the tournament. 
the other issue that I see posed by this is that the managers don't really have a role in these online matches. I think that Roxy Stryer, somebody who's a very hands-on manager, was severely hindered in this match. She wasn't able to call out to Quevedo to remind him of multiple choice when he was floundering in round two. She didn't really have the opportunity to talk him through his decision on the spin when he chose heroes and villains. I definitely think that, you know, maybe he ultimately would have decided to go with that category, but there wasn't an opportunity because she and him were both live on camera for them to talk through their decision because ultimately what Roxy was put into the situation was she had to decide whether she was going to reveal his strengths and weaknesses for everybody to see, or if she was going to let him just choose and keep that stuff a secret. Maybe she made the wrong choice. I, I definitely think that she probably should have talked him through it regardless. But the other issue is with these challenges, I think we got to see a little bit too much there. Whether that's, you know, how Winston went about the challenge because he didn't really have the time to like take the time out and talk with Ace or, or issue the challenge and figure out the semantics of the challenge after the fact. He was kind of just thrown into the limelight and then they kind of discussed it as it went along. I think all of that stuff, we don't necessarily need to, to always see how the sausage is made in that case. And I don't know how they can rectify it for Twitch going forward, but I do know that this play in match is going to serve as kind of the trial run to make sure that they can do it and they can do it well. And then for the next match, I think that a lot of these problems will be figured out. That being said, this is not me taking a dump on Twitch as a platform. I thought that the match worked really well on Twitch. I really enjoyed it. It was definitely different than uh, what we're used to, but I think that the problems that were posed are definitely easy solutions that should be fixed before this week's match. And speaking of this week's match, you're seeing Laura Kelly taking on Sean Sullivan. And as I alluded to last week, I definitely think that this is Laura Kelly's match all day. I don't really think that Sean Sullivan has a footing to stand on. Uh, you heard it in Laura Kelly's promo uh, that was posted yesterday that uh, Sean Sullivan missed questions in round one, which unfortunately as a Star Wars competitor is almost something you cannot do. Star Wars and inner geekdom are two divisions where you basically have to be perfect. And even then you might not win. I mean, we look at somebody like Brandon Hanna, who we'll talk about in a little bit is one of those players who is pretty near perfect and yet has struggled in inner geekdom because his, his opponents have just played that much better than him. So, you know, Sean Sullivan has had, has probably had plenty of time to prepare, but as we learned on backstage, he's also a, an essential worker during this time, which doesn't give him as much time to study as somebody who isn't. Um, we saw with Josh Quavedo, somebody who was also an essential worker that, you know, there can be some problems if you don't have enough time to study. That being said, it's hard to say with Quavedo because that was his first match. It's hard. We don't have, you know, a lexicon to go back through and determine if, if, him being an essential worker really did have a good tribute, have a factor on his match, but it may have a, a, an effect on Sean Sullivan. We'll see going forward. 
Continuing on, Brandon Hanna continues to make waves in the league, this time hosting his own show. He had Kevin Smets on the show, and the two are in character the entire time. Hanna leans into his smarmy, um, I'm too good for you character, and to continue to grow irritated with each other before finally their friendship in the context of the showdown has been dissolved. They no longer like each other, and Hannah has nobody else left on his side. Um, I think that this went on a little bit too long. I didn't think it needed to go the whole hour, um, especially because the two of them started to get into a kind of a broken record as things continue to go on. But that being said, I really like this. I like this kind of extended promo because it continues to flesh out Hannah's character, but it also adds a new, new element to Smets' character. Smets came into the league as a heel and you know, he was supposed to be the bad guy, but people just couldn't help but root for the guy. There's, there's just something about him. And I think now we're seeing him kind of develop into move from the heel to the tweener to, I think we're eventually going to see him be a full face in the league. Um, He's still got that attitude. He's still doing the hoodie thing, but just the way he was talking to Hannah on the show. And if we're expecting it to be canon to the showdown in the way that Hannah is fleshed out, then we should also expect it to be canon to the showdown in the way that Smets is, is fleshed out. I would think a lot of people are crapping on Hannah right now. Um, they're saying that he's not good at, at what he's doing, but I would argue that he's actually very good at what he's doing because, one, he's getting everybody to talk about him, which I think is important. I talked about it last week that this is the first time that I really felt like we've got a, ca- a character for Hannah, a reason to care about him. And this new version of the hitman where he's this smarmy prick is exactly the right direction to take him going forward. Now everybody has a reason to hate him. They don't like the way he talks about other competitors. They don't like the way he talks in general. They don't like this weird attitude. You may not like the direction of the character, but one, you're talking about him and two, you don't like it. And that's him accomplishing what he needs to do as a heel. I think that it is the right turn for his character. Additionally, I'm going to issue a hot take here, but I think that in doing this, Brandon Hanna has become the only legitimate villain in the league. Andrew Guy turned face and Mike Kalinowski, in my opinion, hasn't been acting like a heel for some time now. He every once in a while, he tries to lean into it again, but I think he's become more of a tweener because he can't help but get emotional in those big sports moments. Um, I can't blame the guy. I think if I were in his position, I would have trouble, you know, holding it back too, especially when, when everything that mattered to me was on the line. But that being said, he has broken character a few times and it's hard to see him as the villain when we also see him crying after the victory. I don't want to, I don't want to knock on the guy too hard because I actually really like, like him and I've liked what they've done with his character in the past, but I think that it's time for his character to evolve into that face character again and, and continue to change as things go forward. The closest thing I think that we can choose as, as like a true villain of the league, maybe Jeff Snyder. I don't, 
I don't know. I just, I think he's kind of middle of the road for me. I just think he's kind of, you know, he's not really a full bad guy, but he's not really doing the tweener thing either. And, and people don't like him, but they don't like him because he's disrespecting the league more so than because he's an actual villain. And, you know, maybe I'm just being a hypocrite here and trying to back up my own, own take. And, and maybe Snyder is, you know, the, top of the line as far as villains are concerned. But for some reason, I, I just have this feeling based on the way everybody's talking about Brandon Hannah right now, he is the ultimate villain of the league as it stands right now. You know, even if you look at some of the managers, you look at a Robert Meyer Burnett or a Shannon Barney, I think Shannon's doing a lot better. But the problem is that while she's good on the mic, her team hasn't been winning enough for her to be taken seriously. And that's the really important thing for Hannah going forward is he's definitely got to beat Saul. If he doesn't beat Saul, then none of this matters because he might have developed a great character and he might be talking a big game. But if he doesn't beat Saul, then we don't have a reason to care. Because if you look at somebody like Kalinowski, when he was at the height of his powers, he was winning and people hated him because he was winning. You look at somebody like Andrew Guy at the height of his powers, he was winning and people hated him because he was winning. All of those same things have to apply to Brandon Hanna if he wants to be taken seriously as I think the ultimate villain of the league that he can he could kind of grow into. And a lot of people are going to hate me for saying that, but that's the way I'm, I'm looking at it right now is I definitely think that Brandon Hanna has reached this, this do or die point for him going forward. And we'll see where it leads. I, I think he's got the potential in him to be a great villain. On top of that, you look at his accuracy rate, something he likes to preach about a lot. He's got the potential to win. And so if he's able to combine both of those things, he may be able to become a Mike Kalinowski level villain. We'll see. He's not the only one that was throwing their stuff out in the promo game. I'm really loving the stuff that corruption is throwing out heading up into this uh, Sullivan Laura Kelly match. I think that, uh, you know, I might've taken some shots at Shannon earlier, but I definitely I, I love her persona. Every time she's on the mic, I'm off awestruck by it. I, I, there's something about it. I, she just has the talent on the mic to deliver a great promo. And something I, I wasn't expecting was Laura Kelly's promo was just as good. Sean Sullivan, uh, stumbled a little bit in his promo. It was fine. Um, but it wasn't great. And you can tell he's trying to lean into maybe being a little bit of a bad guy, but both players are bad guys. And so, you know, if you're looking at two bad guys, Laura Kelly's definitely out bad guying the other. And then I, I'm just not one that's like, that likes Kate's character. And I understand that that's, that's part of who she's supposed to be is that people aren't supposed to like her, that she's a heel, but I just, when I don't like her, it's more the direction of it. I, I don't like the idiot character. I don't think it works and I don't think it would work if she was a good guy or a bad guy. Moving on in the show, we've got one last topic here and I want to take some time to take a look at the inner geekdom tournament, uh, as that kicks off next week. 
And if you look at the tournament, we'll start with the play-in match between uh, Veveda and Ben Goddard. I definitely think that this is Ben Goddard's match to win. I saw the way he played in the Lord of the Rings match, and I, th- I think that he can hang. Unfortunately, ultimately, I think it doesn't matter who wins because Parker's moving on to that next level. And so I may have Ben Goddard, but ultimately I think it's, it's going to be Robert Parker moving on. Continuing up the bracket, I have Chance Ellison over Paul Oyama. I'm excited to watch this match. I'm excited to watch these two fam, former family players go back at, it. but I think that Ellison has played in the inner geekdom before and that, that level of, of being a vet, veteran gives him the advantage going forward. So I think he takes this match. Continuing to look at that bracket, I've got Janine the Machine edging out John Humphreys. Um, this was a tough one for me. Both are unproven in inner geekdom, but you know, we talk about it with other players. I think this match may kind of be a do or die for Janine. We we talk about her like she has the potential to be a great player, but she hasn't quite proven it yet. And I think that if she comes in and shows that, you know, she's really able to command an, an inner geekdom match, then maybe it'll be exactly what we need to revitalize her character going forward. But, but right now she's kind of in this stagnant zone where she hasn't quite been able to, to win matches. And I think just getting the one win in inner geekdom is enough to, to keep her, going. And if you're playing like this could potentially be your last match, or you're playing like you're on the edge of the cliff, then you're going to fight harder than somebody who's secure in the league or somebody who's just playing to have fun. And continuing on that side of the bracket, I think that the way everybody's been talking about the barbarian, I think he's got it over Adam Plavik. This was a tough one for me to decide on, but you know, Adam may be the proven one, but there's something about the way people talk about the barbarian. It, I just have to go with the barbarian. I think that this rookie is a buzzsaw. And if he's able to get a couple of wins here in the inner geekdom, he's got just as much right to challenge for that rookie of the year as Ben Goddard or, or Robert Parker. And I would almost argue that both the barbarian and Ben Goddard have more of a claim to the rookie of the year spot than Robert Parker, just because they're playing in multiple divisions. If Robert Parker were to expand out to a teams or expand out to a singles, then maybe it might be different. But as of right now, he's a buzzsaw, but he's only a buzzsaw in, in inner geekdom. And if you're looking at somebody like a Ben Goddard, who's a potential who's undefeated to this point, but it has the potential to be a high level triple threat, then I think that he's got to have the priority of rookie of the over rookie of the year over somebody like Robert Parker. Moving on to the other half of the bracket, I've got the Warfather over Greg Alba. I'm taking experience in this match, but ultimately, just like on the other side of the bracket, it doesn't matter because Mike Kalinowski is going to wipe the floor with either one of them. Moving up the list, the way that everybody's been talking about Eric Zipper, I have to imagine that he wins that match over Emily Rose Jacobson. I like the Finstock exchange. I just don't think that they have the right pick in Emily Rose. And if Smets, if the way Smets is talking about zipper is any reason to, to, uh, 
lend credence towards this idea, I definitely think that Eric Zipper has the chance to take this match. Continuing up the list, we've got Alex Damon taking on Jen Kemp. I'm going to pick Alex Damon in this match. Um, mostly because of what I saw from him in the Lord of the Rings match. You know, he's basically, he was basically perfect in that match. He didn't quite win it. He wasn't able to outlast Robert Parker, but that being said, you know, he showed that he's definitely got that Lord of the Rings knowledge base. You combine that with his Star Wars knowledge base. And on top of that, I'm sure he's been studying MCU since his first match. I think he's one to look out for. I definitely think that he's going to make a strong run in this tournament. And as I continue to talk about it, move up the list. You know, this next match is do or die for Brandon Hanna. And I, I definitely think he's going to get past Saul. But unfortunately, as we look into the final four, the people who I have in the final four are the Barbarian, Alex Damon, Mike Kalinowski, and Robert Parker. And I think that Brandon Hanna is not going to be able to win the matches needed to make him the superstar he needs to, to be. Um, I just have this feeling with Alex Damon that he's he's going to go on a tear in this tournament. And look, if Brandon Hanna is able to beat him, then more power to him because I'm definitely in his corner. I want to see him succeed in the statement of, I think it's better for the league if he does, but I, I see Alex Damon going past him. And then on top of that, I see Alex Damon going past Mike Kalinowski to face Robert Parker in the finals and I'm picking Alex Damon to win, win it all. I think that I just have this gut feeling based on what I've seen from him in Star Wars, what I've seen from him in Lord of the Rings. I think that Alex Damon has the potential to win the Intergeekdom tournament. And I don't know if he's good enough to beat Smets, but I definitely think he could challenge for the belt. And either way, whoever comes out of this tournament on top definitely has a strong claim for this for the inner geekdom belt and will definitely give Smets a run for his money. You're talking about, you know, Mike Kalinowski, Robert Parker, Alex Damon, any one of them, I think could take the belt away from Smets. So it'll be interesting to see going forward, who's able to do it. That being said, that'll do it for this week's episode of repeat the question. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you follow the, the podcast at RTQ podcast on Twitter. Make sure you follow me at POTUS 107 on Twitter Remember, you can always find the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere thanks to Anchor right now. So be sure to tune in there. But always, YouTube video is the best place to watch the show because you only get about half the show if you watch it anywhere other than YouTube. If you're not watching the video version of the podcast, you're really missing out on the whole show. That being said, if you want to stay up to date on everything going on around the world of the Schmodown, be sure to follow us at RTQ Podcast, and we'll keep you updated on that. everything going on in the world of the Schmodown. Until then, thank you for tuning in, and so long. <laughs>